This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Hello and welcome again to our Pastor to Pastor podcast. As always, I'm Adam Hughes and I'm here with my colleague, Charlie Ray. And Charlie, it's good to see you today. And I don't know if our listeners will be excited or sad over this or just completely indifferent, but this is indeed our uh, last podcast of the semester, our, our last podcast of the session as we head into the summer. And I would just say I've enjoyed being with you as always. And certainly this topic that we've had in these group of podcasts has been really, really meaningful to me. Thinking about the church and and what the church is and who the church is and who's the church is and and therefore what does it mean to lead the church and to think through some of these specific issues. So as always, I, I pray to our listener that uh, it's been helpful and encouraging to you. And today we have one more topic that I think and, and pray will uh, will encourage you and help you. And really what we're thinking about today, Charlie, last time we, we, we talked about unity in the midst of even thinking about how that is a is a is a contrast to church discipline and and it's 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 fascinating if you think about in churches today one of the areas it's maybe not the area we divide over but this factor often leads to a lot of the divisions or becomes a dividing line in the divisions. And by this, I'm talking about different generations within the church. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're going to talk about what the church is and what the church does and how we're unified, we we need to spend some time today talking about, maybe wrapping up by talking about uh, why do we need different generations in the church? Do we need different generations in the church? And how and where should they interact in the church? Yeah, so just as we think uh, of some biblical grounding here, right? So we do see a lot of when we think about Scripture and intergenerational, it's family context, right? So whether it's Deuteronomy 6 or Psalm 78, where you're passing things on from generation to generation. Um, so some of that is there, and we could have a whole other podcast on family discipleship, which would be a good topic to talk about. But here we come to passages like Titus 2 is the one we come to here a lot, where even specifically Paul talks about older women and what they're to be like. And then specifically, he talks about the older women encouraging the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, busy, working, uh, at, uh, busy at home, good, subject to their own husbands in order that the word of God may not be slandered. And then Paul goes on to instruct the younger men, uh, right, to be self-controlled concerning uh, everything, showing yourself to be an example of good deeds. So I think we do see in several different passages of Scripture this uh, idea of intergenerational discipleship. I think you see it oftentimes when it talks about the wisdom that comes with age. I think of the story of uh, of uh, Rehoboam and and uh, his decision after you know he's becoming king and 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 he basically goes to the wise old men and he asked them what he should do and they basically say the issue is is he going to be as stern as his father and is he going to basically oppress the people like his father did and the wise old men say no basically lighten up on him and uh, and things will go better for you and he goes to his young foolish friends and they basically tell him no uh, go tell the people I'm paraphrasing here slightly go tell the people if you thought my dad was bad don't you, you know wait until you see me and he follows the foolish advice of his young friends, and he doesn't listen to the wisdom of older men. 
we've got a quote on a board at our house right now that comes from a book I was reading with my son. It basically says, be distrustful of your own opinion when it disagrees with the advice of older men, you know, which is not at all self-serving for me to put in my house, right? Uh, <laughs> for, for my son to look at every day. So, so I think in lots of different ways, we see this biblical command for younger people to seek advice from older people and for older generations even to be instilling wisdom into the younger generation. So I think just basically there, we need to start with the fact that we see biblical precedent for this. Several things came to mind as you were saying that. One is, I I, I don't want to state what I'm about to say as definitive biblical truth, but I think it's generally speaking true. And it's this, you can have people that are young in age that are that are mature in faith. Right. However, it's hard to have people that are young in age that are mature in life. Mm-hmm. What, what's the only way that you get mature in life? You have life experience. Yeah. And, and look, I don't want to say life experience trumps the Word of God, but there is a lot of wisdom that we learn in life experience that you can't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there is value, uh, there, there, there is no need there it's laudable to to have older older people not just elders from a standpoint of mature in the faith that's true as well but older people that can invest that can be around younger people and that younger people can learn from i think that's just i think that's just a general yeah. truth and what's generally true i think is also true in the church yeah and and obviously there's exceptions to that right so just because you're older doesn't necessarily that's mean exactly you're wise right. right i mean sometimes you live that long by being lucky not wise right um, but and, and even paul would tell timothy don't let them look, look down, down on, on your, your youth. youthfulness right so i do think we're talking principles here we are absolutely we're not talking rules so even um just as a practical standpoint like <laughs> i went from uh pastor a church before we moved to New Orleans that had numerous people in their 90s, lots of people in their 80s. So, I mean, I was, um, I don't think I'd quite turned 40 yet when we left uh, as pastor, but man, I was in my late 30s and a young adult, basically, you know. And then we come to a church plan in the city of New Orleans where my wife and I at the time were pretty much the oldest members of the church because uh, it was a relatively new church plant. So in some senses, I think, as we think about this issue of intergenerational discipleship, you're going to be in different contexts where sometimes the church has lots of older people, sometimes they don't. Um, And sometimes I think we try to force that. Right. I mean, in, in the wisdom of God, we have to entr- to trust who he brings to the church. Right. And so I don't think we can force it. But even one of the things that our church as a young church prayed for was that God would send older people. Right. Um, hopefully they didn't mean old people like me, even people older <laughs> than that. Right. Uh, but but they even praying that God would send older people to bring that sort of wisdom. And so I don't think you can force it. But I think that God in his wisdom brings, uh, you know, people from all over the age range, generally speaking, to be a part of his church. And I'll say this, again, I'm just talking about things sometimes in life. It's like, okay, this is a silly one, but you're pastoring a church or you're a member of a church and and we go through a little, like in the economy, you go through a Mm -hmm. little bit of a recession or things are down or the housing market's down or things are more expensive. And, you know, you're, you're a young couple in your twenties that just have had your first, you know, two kiddos and you start panicking a little Mm -hmm. bit. And I'm not saying you shouldn't panic a little bit, but sometimes it's nicer just to have, you know, a retired couple in the church that can say, you know, hold on, everything's going 
going to be okay. Well, how do you know? Yeah. Well, because God is good, right. but also because I've been through this we, before we did several this times. Three times. Yeah, already, we did this three know? times and we came <laughs> out of it. And so, Charlie, even just that sometimes in the church is a blessing just because they've lived it before. I always said this to my church. We, we need the older generation because when everything's on fire and burning down around us, we need y'all to say, hey, it's okay. You know, you don't, don't, don't start throwing diesel fuel on the fire. It's going to be all right and we'll come out of this. And so I do think that's true. Now, when we think about this issue and we've set the biblical precedent and we just talk about how generally speaking, this is how wisdom works, we might do well here for just a moment or two to jump into some specific ways for how the church can do this or how the church can foster this. It's interesting to me, and I'm not trying to throw shots over the wall because I've been there and done that as well, and I know how easy it is. We will sit here and say how much we value different generations in the church, but often the way we do church we're actually not, even if, even within one membership role, we have people of different generations, we rarely, if ever, get them together. Mm-hmm. They're rarely, if ever, even in the same room. And if they are in the same room, it's, they're never relating to one another and t- or talking to one another. You know, and most of the time, whenever we get a chance, we divide them out and do different things with yeah. them. I will also say this along those lines. You were making comment. I do think context matters because I don't think this is – Sometimes this happens not because it's the designed desire, it just happens. But you hear sometimes like, okay, church says, we're going to start a college church. And mm-hmm. we're, only gonna, we're only going to have people that are members that are in their you know, teens and 20s. Well, I understand that. And maybe sometimes if you're at a college, something like that will happen. But my question always when something like that happens is, unlike your church, are you not going to pray for some older yeah. people? Because if not, where in the world is Titus 2 ever going to yeah. occur? Yeah. And so with that in mind, and again, me not trying to throw shots over the wall, but just saying, if we do believe this is biblical, what are some ways we can foster it within a local body? Yeah. So I think there's an intentionality issue there that you're getting at, right? So my advice to someone who says, we're going to start a, a church full of, of college people would be, well, I would say, well, don't do that, right? Now, practically speaking, you may end up there, right, because of your location, because of whatever, right? But there's a difference between seeking to do that and just sort of that's where we are in this in this life situation. So I think, you know, one thing um, that we can do is to to pray towards that and to show the value that we place there. But, I mean, one of the first things we talked about is just worshiping together, and that may sound like sort of very basic, but that actually doesn't always happen. You know, some, some churches very almost intentionally divide out the worship of their church. I mean, it would, they wouldn't say by age ranges necessarily, but practically speaking, it becomes by worship style. It kind style, of becomes that. Trends if, yeah, towards, it t- tends to do that. Trends towards age demographics. And honestly, look, I mean, I've got some very strong opinions here, and maybe we need to go back to the conviction preference discussion from last time, right? But the church that can't get everybody together and worship together, I just can't help but see that there's not some underlying issues there, right? There's actually some disunity there that creating those separate services is is only, you know, masking over, right? That there's something there that's actually going on that needs to be, you know, pushed towards unity and not away from it. And going back to this whole inter- intergenerational discipleship, isn't a foundation of that if someone's going to disciple me, if someone's older and wiser and they're going to disciple me, 
how how is that going to work if I never observe them wor- corporately mm-hmm. worshiping? If I never get to dis- obs- and I'm not saying I'm not saying discipleship is just that, but what I'm saying is if I'm in a completely different service with a completely different style of worship or whatever, and I never see this person that is discipling me engage in you know worship in the body even if they're doing it i believe they're doing it doesn't that from day one put a hindrance on the 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 depth and ability that the person's going to have to make a difference in my life and invest in my life let me give an example i might be really crossing some boundaries here but even like my son with me there's a tendency also and i get the reasons why to you know take everybody until they get to the age of whatever to take them out of the worship mm-hmm. service but i think part of it is if i'm going to actually teach my son the ways of christ a foundational thing is he needs to observe me worshiping christ right. and worshiping them but a lot of other things that have to happen but it has to start there so if we can't even figure out a way as different generations to worship together it's going to be a challenge that, in, on the level that God intends for it to happen, that Titus two ever actually functionally take place. Yeah. So I think at a practical level, probably most churches actually do this, right? Because practically speaking, they only have one service, which means everybody who's a member there, you know, they worship together, right? Though some churches won't, and and I think we're arguing for pushing towards worship together. But probably the place where you see it more in the average Southern Baptist church is there's very few times where generations study the Bible together yeah. um, or do any kind of like personal discipleship uh, along those lines. That's where you really see uh, Sunday school or whatever that hour is going to be, right? It's really divided out by generations. And you don't have those times where older people are teaching younger people and engaging with younger people in the areas of Bible study. I I remember I encounter this uh, man has since passed away. He's probably in his 80s when he made this comment to me about teaching Sunday school. He taught Sunday school for years, but he taught a Sunday school class of people who were probably in their 60s to 80s. We actually had a conversation of him teaching a Sunday school class of younger adults and the first comment that he made to me was, well, those people won't want to hear anything I have to say. Mm. You know, that was his initial response to teaching a 20 or 30-somethings class or something like that is, well, that they won't want to hear anything I have to say. And honestly, maybe that was true, maybe it wasn't. But that was really sad to me to say we've become so divided almost along age lines when we study the Bible that sometimes, yeah, the younger people actually do say, you know, what can I learn from those old people, right? And the older people are saying, the younger people don't want to learn from me. So one of the things I've pushed hard for in pastoral ministry is finding ways to break down that gap in Bible study, uh, where we are bringing the generations together to talk about God's Word, to study God's Word, to to look deeply into God's Word. Yeah, I actually think you're, you're spot on here. Ironically, everything that we said was true about how we divide and worship if we're not careful. I think the place that we're the most divided, and it's designed this way in the church amongst ages, is probably the small group Bible study, yeah. whatever we call it, whether it's called whatever Sunday school, core group, whatever. Be, right. That's when we're divided the most. And so I, I kind of want to hold this balance here where we're, what, we're, what we're not saying, and I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I don't say, think you're saying this ever. I'm not saying, I don't think we're saying that there's never value in getting together with people your own age that you, that you have similar life stages with, and y'all 
y'all having dialogue about the mm-hmm. word and talking about that and, and and encouraging one another and holding one another accountable. We're not saying that that's, that's never appropriate. But what we are saying is it is inappropriate that multiple generations never intentionally come together for that type of thing as well. Yeah, and I, I may state this more strongly than I could, and maybe this is a conviction that I you know don't need to argue with people about, but I, I would say that it, and generally speaking, intergenerational discipleship or, or Bible study is the exception, not the rule. And I think, in my opinion, it actually should be flipped, where the rule should probably be that we worship and study together, and the exception is that we gather together as you know groups of this demographic or that demographic uh, for the sake of study. That, that tends to be what we do at our church, where the rule is we worship together. We, we, we study scripture together. The exception is there are times when we do a parenting class where that's probably going to be mostly people who have parents in the home, our kids in the home, right, and, and, and those sorts of things, where we do a night on singleness and how we view singleness biblically, right? Well, that's the exception, not the rule. And I think that paradigm tends to be flipped in most churches. I think that's right. Another thing I was thinking of is just not Bible study groups, although this tends to go together, but even sometimes just accountability groups, right? Often that will be amongst those that you're in a similar place in life with. Are you a ministry wife? Do you long for community and encouragement from like-minded women? Do you wish you were more prepared for all that you do? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I'd love to invite you to join Thrive. This is our Ministry Wives Certificate Program that prepares women for gospel ministry in their families, churches, and communities. Our eight-week classes can be taken on our New Orleans campus or online. You just choose whatever fits your schedule best. For more information or to apply, visit prepareher.com slash thrive. say this real quickly. I know we probably need to move on to a final way that we can facilitate this happening in the church, but as we just think about being in the same room together for the purpose of uh, talking about discussing the Bible together, I keep kind of taking this back and using just the metaphor of life in general to discuss how important this is. And, and, and I've got to be very honest here. Perhaps my thinking is shaped on this because I had such a strong relationship with my maternal grandfather mm-hmm. who um, wasn't an overly educated man. Uh, he wasn't somebody, you know, as far as uh, how society would look at things to see someone that was highly respected. But uh, he he had a lot of wisdom, mm-hmm. and he also had a lot of biblical wisdom. And I spent a lot of time with him as a very, very young boy. I mean, it, it, to the point where so young, I probably wasn't even old, old enough to, to grasp some of the things that he was doing and saying to me. He was a farmer, Charlie, and until I turned five years old, my parents both worked. My older two siblings were both in school. So I spent every day, this is no joke, on the back of a John Deere tractor with him <laughs> in, the, in the field. And it's been later in life that I'll think about something and I'll see it a certain way and I'll wonder why do I think about it that way? And when I really start to reflect back, it's often some life lesson or some way that my grandfather invested in me. He probably, as far as just wisdom in life and the type of man I am, probably good, bad, or, or indifferent, set some foundations that was different and, 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 and more significant than maybe even my father. 
And so because of that, I have a tendency, my natural reaction is not, let me get away from the older generation. And certainly in the church, my, my reaction is, how do I find, how do I seek out those from the older generation that know, however much I think I know that know more than me, yeah. that have more wisdom than me. And I just think in Bible study and life in the church, we would just do really well if we could recapture that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times, I, I think about this in the context of marriage, because this has been impressed on me in, in, in churches. If you're dealing with pastoral ministry, honestly, you're probably dealing with marriages that are in big trouble, yeah, absolutely. at least from time to time. And one of the things that I think that we've un- unintentionally done is by putting always the young marrieds together, just for example, and maybe you've got yes, right. the young marrieds being taught by somebody you know my age who's been married a little while, but not 50 years or something like that, right? And again, this is not to argue that you can't get young marrieds together, but sometimes what the young married couple who's struggling in their marriage and asking the question, is it worth sticking this out? Sometimes the group of people they need to be around the most is the people who've been married 50 years. Who have stuck it out. And who who (laughs) can actually go back and say, yeah, we actually walked through a really difficult time too. Here we are, you know? That's exactly right. Um, Well, I'll say, and this isn't your point, but it kind of is the point. This is not not me trying to take shots and I know it could come across that way but I've actually seen it in churches where I pastor it's like hey we do this divorce care we have this Mm -hmm. divorce care ministry people have been divorced well who's leading it well this man and woman who have been divorced and now they're remarried well well maybe now they have the most biblical marriage in the world maybe they're the people to do it but in some ways I've often thought it is that really the best people to do divorce care, or is the people to do divorce care like you said this, you know this the seventy or eighty year old that have never been divorced? Mm-hmm. Are they not the best people to do divorce care or marriage care or whatever? I don't know if that makes any sense what I'm trying to say, but in some ways it it might it might do the opposite of what we're trying to do. Yeah, one of my favorite books to read is is called When the Church Was a Family, and um, it, it's a, a long book. But just to make the point that part of the biblical imagery of the church is a family, right? Which means grandparents, parents, brothers, sisters, you know, all that sort of thing, that part of the imagery of what Scripture calls it to do. Paul will even call, like, Timothy and Titus as true children in the faith, you know. Um, And you have these images of, you know, Timothy and his mother and grandmother. I mean, there's just so many different ways where Scripture emphasizes this generational image. And I think sometimes instead of bringing the family together as a church, we separate out the family, and we lose a lot of wisdom. We lose a lot of discipleship that should be happening. Well, Charles, is there any other principle that maybe we need to think about briefly before we wrap up this idea of intergenerational ministry and discipleship within the church? Yeah, one of the other things we just talked about was this issue of decision-making and how we make decisions. Um, I think maybe this can tie in a little bit to what we talked about last week, is preferences right? I think if we're not careful, we end up making decisions based on our preferences without even really thinking about it. So I think even in how we make decisions and who we talk to and the groups that we seek counsel from, I think there is some value in, in thinking through how different people from genera- different generations can be involved in, in the decision-making process. Uh, sometimes, I, th- I think if we're not careful, sometimes we just have this sort of attitude, well, the young people need to step up and lead, and it's just, you know, we need to get rid of the old, out with the old, in with the new. That's not necessarily what I'm arguing for here, but... I do think if we want to have unity in the midst of all of these different preferences, then we need to hear from everybody and find ways to talk through these issues with hopefully a wide range of people. Yeah, and I think within the church, even as a pastor, it's very easy to think what I want in a decision is for people to hear what I want to do, 
we were talking about this a little last time as well. People hear what I want to do and me to get my way. At the at the end of the day, really, that that's not what pastoring is, and that's not the goal of the church. So, so why with anything? Why do we believe to some extent? If it's however we believe in church governance, a plurality of elders and congregationalism, and all of those things, we do that knowing not. It's not a point of people arguing, but it's a point of people having different perspectives or seeing some things that maybe I don't see. Mm-hmm. Look, if somebody sees something or a detail that I missed, it's not necessarily them shooting down my idea or saying that's no good. It's basically just saying, what's the best way for us to collect all the information we can possibly collect before we try to make the most biblical decision we can make? Mm -hmm. And when we do that, certainly generations and generational representation should be a part of that because generations are perhaps or having lived longer or gone through something will help bring something to the table, not even always as an argument, just as another piece of the puzzle, another part of the information that will help us make through, uh, think through making a decision. And here's what I say. There's been times that I've thought as pastor, we really need to do this. And then you bring people, trusted people to the table, to the room, and they give you a lot of different pieces of information. And maybe it still doesn't change your perspective biblically on what you – you're more convinced ever now, we need to do this. Mm -hmm. But what it might have changed is, but oh goodness, there's three steps that I need to do before we actually say this to the congregation that I wouldn't have thought of before if I didn't have this information. Or here's these conversations that we need to have that I didn't think of. Or this is what we need to check into. Or here's how we need to implement it. So even if it doesn't change the decision, sometimes it can add something to it that you wouldn't have seen. And it really goes back to the reason why life experience and wisdom. Well, I think it's part of that, but I think it's also just the different gifts that God gives to the church, right? So I don't think this is just generational, right? So sometimes, and maybe you can't relate to this, but sometimes I'll think something through and then I'll go talk to my wife about it and she'd be like, what did you think about this? Like, no, I didn't, that thought never crossed my mind, you know, and sometimes that's because she's a woman, right? And so she's thinking about it differently than I am. Or sometimes uh, it may not be that. It may be, you know, <laughs> uh, the people who have kids versus people who don't have kids and what time you start the service and, and all these different kinds of things where I, I don't think what we're trying to argue is this sort of everybody has their own truth kind of thing or whatever, but we are trying to say God has gifted the church with lots of different people. And in theory, we function best as a church when everybody's bringing something to the table and when everybody is being heard. It doesn't mean we sort of make decisions as a group per se, but it does mean as pastors, we need to be ready to listen, right? We're shepherding actual people, not just trying to put our agenda into place. So that means we need to be talking with different age groups in the church, talking across these demographics in the church so we can hear where people are, in part at least so that we can know how to shepherd them better and so we can know how to lead them better. Yeah, Charlie, I think that's right. And I think it, it, we could have ha- perhaps have had a whole other podcast on not just different or intergenerational leadership, but also just people with different gifts and how that actually builds up the body. I, I couldn't help but when you were talking, just thinking and believing this is a part of the Ephesians 4 issue Mm -hmm. to where this all happens so that the saints are equipped, the saints are heard, so that the body is, uh, is built up for the purpose of, of, of you know, ministry and, and, and attaining to, to, the, to the full measure of Christ. And so I, when I think about this, I have a tendency just to ask the question, like, why? What's the point of all this? Why, why the church? 
Why intergenerational discipleship? And I think you and I both would say because no individual in and of themselves, if I, I hope this makes sense, is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. But God has so designed it and God has so redeemed us to where we need each other, to where we help each other grow, and together mm-hmm. we attain to the unity of faith and together we're the body of Christ. Yeah. And we need Everybody, We need multiple people, and we need different generations to do that. Which I think even means for us as pastors, that's true of us too. Absolutely. If it's going to be true of everybody else, it's true of us. Well, I've enjoyed this semester. Uh, You and I are both very passionate about the church and what the church is and what the church isn't. So I've certainly enjoyed this semester and talking through uh, lots of different issues related to the church. We hope it's been a benefit to our listeners. Um, And so this will be our last podcast from the semester as we kind of move on from this question of what is the church. So thank you guys for joining us over the course of the semester. I hope it's been a blessing to you, that it's been uh, helpful for you in the context of your ministry. Uh, and we hope and pray that this will be used uh, for the glory of God and for the building up of the church. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.